Hi, good morning everyone. How are you this morning? Good to see you today. Uh, even though it's raining outside, or it had rained. Uh, so uh, glad to meet you all. And today, as we made the announcement, uh, we have uh, our EP and Presbytery, uh, Executive Presbyter, the Reverend Wendy Kazuma is with us. So let's welcome her and let's listen to her. Thank you so much. Um, it's good to see you all. It's good to see that you're good Presbyterians because you're as close to the back as you can be. So hopefully you can see this okay. Um, it, it's funny, I just realized as I was getting coffee that I think the last time I was in this room, it looked very different. And I was meeting with your missions committee. Um, who wanted to know what's going on in the BCUSA. <laughs> and I think I, after about two hours or two and a half hours of a whole lot of different things, uh, it was a great discussion. Um, but I still wouldn't know exactly what it is. I think some of you know the BCUSA better than I do. And, um, some of you, and you may all have different ideas about what you're curious about. So I'm just going to touch on a lot of different things, pretty, try, maybe try to get through it quickly. And if I didn't answer your question, <laughs> ask, ask it. Or if you um, have something to add or something comes up, then, then we can talk about that too. So I'm going to start out by just talking a little bit about statistics, about where we are now in the PCUSA. Um, you may know, you may recognize the color chart here. This is where we are as of, I think it's 2015, is that we have about 1.7 million members, almost 10,000. We, we actually dip below 10,000 churches. 170 presbyteries. We've actually merged a couple, and we actually, we, actually it's this in it that actually got dissolved one, one presbytery. Um, 16 synods. There were uh, several attempts to reduce that number, and the synods fought it back. <laughs> so we still have 16 synods. Um, one thing that you, one thing that did come up, and this is actually one of the reasons that they thought it wasn't um, workable to to merge the synods, is you see the western synods, the western almost 40 percent of the landmass of the continent. Those are five synods. All five of those synods put together still would not make the largest synod in the denomination. <laughs> okay, so the so I, I'll give you a little bit of idea of why that is. We are the Presbyterian San Gabriel. Some of us like to mention um, that we are the smallest presbytery in the denomination, land size. Um, <clears throat> And in the Presbytery, we've got now, we have about 7,800. For a long time, we were running in the mid-nines. Uh, but now we have 7,800 members, 40 churches. And I would say, I, I can't get, I get into the statistics on this, but I think outside, outside of Puerto Rico, I think we are probably um, the, the, have the highest percentage of membership of people of color. Uh, and so I, I hate the term racial ethnic, but that's how the denomination uses, <laughs> describes us. Um, but whereas uh, 
the presbytery's membership is over 40%. I think we undercount that because several of our large um, churches that are, for instance, we have two large Arabic-speaking churches that I think don't give the statistics because they say we only have 34 Middle Eastern members, and I know we got more than 34 Middle Eastern members in this presbytery. Um, but anyway, so compared to 42%, the denomination is still holding at 8.4% people of color. It's like no matter what we do, we just cannot make it past below 90% um, Caucasian. Uh, the San Gabriel Valley, however, is uh, almost 2 million people, 78% are people of color in the general population, and almost half of them are Latino. Uh, I was looking over, as you can see, I like to play with statistics. Um, the Senate of Southern California, which is this whole thing, it's Senate of Southern California and Hawaii. We have a, about seven churches in Hawaii. Um, we have 25% of, of the teaching elders are women. And 34%, about a third of them, are people of color. The women, you might think that's okay, except that... Um, for the denomination is 37%. So our synod has significantly, and actually it is by a significant portion, has the, the smallest proportion of women teaching elders. Um, but we actually have a much higher proportion of people of color. I actually don't think, people tend to like to think that that's a causation, and it's not, because we actually have um, a small percentage of Caucasian women pastors as well. Not because of you, obviously. <laughs> okay, so um, this is what I was meaning to, it's, it's probably hard for you to, to, to read this, right? Basically, what you'll see is in the darkest spots, that's where the percentage of the population is highest Presbyterian. Okay, so when you talk about the Presbyterian church, for the most part, the Presbyterian church is Appalachia. Is this area right here is where we've got in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania down to the Virginias and Carolinas. That's where most of our Presbyterians are, um, and our largest Presbyteries, our largest synod, um, and it goes actually down to the south. Notice how light it is over here. <laughs> so what we actually have, it, what the situation we actually have in Southern California, especially, is that we have fewer churches. We have larger churches, but um, as a percentage of the population, it's quite low. How does this? How does the Congregational Church fit into this? Because back in the 1700s, if I, my history is mm -hmm. right, there was yeah. a proposed merger of the two churches, and the circuit riders divvied up the territory. Uh, actually, the circuit riders were more Methodist. Well, you see, the Congregationalists were in, as you're right, see why it's really, really light up there? That's Congregationalist land. So um, Presbyterians had got New York, Presbyterians got New Mexico, we got Alaska, did you see this, right? The Congregationalists got Hawaii and New England, so it, 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 it still, even now, is reflected a little bit in that distribution. So, well, I think the question back here was, how did we get 
get them? Alaska, or there's how do we get them? Um, that's a good question. Um, I can I can tell you tell, explain what happened with circuit riders for better than I can else. With um, <clears throat> um, if you remember the Pilgrims, uh, they landed in they were dominant Massachusetts colony. They are the that's the, the kind of the root for the Congregationalists. The root, and it's really funny for me because it wasn't until I was in seminary that it really hit me how much the Presbyterian Church is a is a racial ethnic church itself. And do you know what the ethnic? You know what it is? Scotch. Scots Irish. Yeah. And the Scots Irish were in Appalachia. Um, then the um, Dutch were in New York, and the Dutch are Reformed. Okay, so that's where we, that's where, where we, why we're so um, uh, concentrated there. Alaska, I think, is, and uh, definitely the Hawaii was the missionaries. That it happened to be the missionaries who came out of Yale and um, um, Boston, who went all, went all the way over to Hawaii. The mission boards of the two denominations actually came to an agreement. It's actually um, all the foreign mission boards. Yeah, it's all the mission for my voice. So, right. So I don't. I guess it must have been Sheldon Jackson who happened yeah. to be Presbyterian who ended up in Alaska. So that's why they they came first. The mission board came after and said, "Okay, congregations, you're already in Hawaii. Take Hawaii. Sheldon, you're already in Alaska. Take Alaska." Um, the Methodists actually got Korea and Japan and Tonga and and Tonga. Yeah. Uh, the congregationalists got Samoa. And Hawaii, I can't remember. And then in Africa, the same thing happened. You'll see different, like the, you'll see the, the roots are all there because it was called a comity agreement. It was kind of a gentleman's agreement between the denominations that they wouldn't compete with each other. The reason why, so I, you know, I was in Hawaii for 10 years. So the reason why there are, there are a handful of Presbyterian churches in Hawaii, um, most of the Presbyterians who serve in Hawaii actually serve the UCC, as I did. Um, but they, it happened when it became a state because they were no longer bound by the foreign mission board um, policies, policies. Okay, more statistics, how we stack up. So you all know, right, that we've been having a pretty steady decline. And then in the last few years, 2012 until about 2015, was the steepest decline because of, we, you know, we, we, we assume it's because of the dismissals, and the dismissals um, really did impact the denomination, and it impacted certain presbyteries much more severely than others. Um, so you'll see first, but but what I was surprised when I was preparing for you all is you see the, we, there's also been 361 churches that have been dissolved in just those three years. Yeah. Um, now the membership decline isn't good because isn't big because of course the churches that get dissolved are tiny, right? That's why they get dissolved. So so the big membership um, losses came out of the 463 churches that were dismissed. Two hundred eighty thousand members net loss. But as I mentioned, look at this: Los Ranchos in one year, and it was the year Los Ranchos decided to just take it all in one year. So they dismissed a whole bunch of churches. Unfortunately, pray for them because they look, it looks like they have a second wave coming of dismissals. But in 2014, and they were by far the biggest Presbyterian in our city, they lost 40% of their members. 
because it was their largest, except for St. Mark, it was their large, mostly their largest churches that left. Santa Barbara, they are a much smaller presbytery, but they lost almost a quarter of their members. In San Gabriel, we were kind of funny. We actually lost two of our biggest churches in 2013, so that, that's the 16% in San Gabriel. Then we held steady, actually grew by a few members, and then, um, but we were anticipating that once the effect of um, the bulk of Korean Good Shepherds membership leaving, then it, they would probably account for another 9% because there were probably 800 members that left there. Um, I think I told you already a little bit about the racial thing and then um, the women. So you already know this, do you know this? Do, do, do you have, who knows about the six agencies at the national level? Yeah, yeah? okay. So um, there's nothing scientific about this, but I just wanted to mention what I hear the most about and where I see most of the attention going right now. Um, I will say part of this is a couple things that happen. One, that's a natural rhythm, and that is um, the, uh, the controversies and the heat tends to stir up on in GA years. <laughs> so as the denomination prepares for GA, that's when things start to get stirred up. Um, we're not in a GA year, so this is actually a really quiet year right now. This is perhaps the quietest year in a long time. Um, also, the uh, good thing about the dismissals is the people who were the most vocally antagonistic towards us have left. And um, across the denomination, Presbyterian people will say that. And not only the Presbyterians will say that themselves, but the visitors, like the mo one of the co-moderators co was here just last week, and I asked her how things were going, because she's, you know, like Miss America, she goes everywhere. And she said, <laughs> and she said that the Presbyterians are much more peaceable now than they were before. Um, but we, do, we do definitely do have our interests. And probably the two biggest things that we are looking at as a denomination is advocacy for immigrants and anti-racism. We also, the nice thing is, you know, there was this big um, scandal or controversy about 1001 New Worshipping Communities. The staff that had helped to put that together, um, some of them went and did something entrepreneurial that was a little outside the bounds of the law. Um, but the good thing is that it didn't stop the momentum. And so the, the concept of wanting to start new churches and being creative in how we approach things, that kept going. Um, and now what is also happening is that there is a um, fairly broad scale um, attempt to look at the national structure of the church, the, the structure of the national church, as has already kind of been done piecemeal at the local and especially the mid-council level. Okay, so in immigration, um, there's advocacy at all levels, and, and, and you all are involved in that, I know. A lot of our churches are. A lot of our churches are. A lot of our Latino churches do um, citizenship classes or immigrant rights um, classes for the community. Um, you, I know, that in fact, you know, uh, First Pomona has a Syrian refugee family, but they credit you with it, helping to advise them on that. Um, so there's, there's a lot that's going on um, there. I, I wanted to give this plug, I'm thrilled about this, <laughs> um, that one of the things that, that people have talked about is um, 
because we can't provide sanctuary for everybody who might be in uh, danger, another um, practice that's getting started is called rapid response. And what happens is people will actually sign up so that if um, ICE comes to somebody's home, it's like a phone tree. You know how churches used to have like prayer phone trees? So this would be a phone tree, and people would be able to come to the, the house and confront the ICE officers. And actually, it, it's surprisingly effective um, that if a bunch of church people come and say, no, he's, they're one of our, there are people, and you can't do this. So, this Friday, <laughs> I love this, this is my uncle's old church. <laughs> Um, LA Union Church, um, the Japanese, I'll, I'll just say this, the Japanese Americans um, have a heightened awareness from our own history about discrimination. Um, so they are hosting that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's Clue, Chirla, um, uh, the Episcopalians, and Presbyterian Pacific, um, but Union Church is hosting it, and it's going to be a training on rapid response training. Um, refugee protection, uh, I don't know if you know this, that it's in our, in our denomination, um, it's actually Presbyterian Disaster Assistance that has the, the um, responsibility for caring for refugees. And in fact, the big program that we all are a part, our synod is a part of in supporting, um, to support unaccompanied minors, actually was um, initiated by a grant from the BDA. There are a few churches that are doing sanctuary, and that's what UCARE is, actually. The UCARE Coalition is, is a group that's working through CLUE. You know what CLUE is, I, I think you all. Um, is uh, working for unaccompanied minors, mostly from Honduras and um, other uh, nations that where the young people are facing a lot of violence. Um, there are a few churches that are, that are um, becoming sanctuary churches. Our pastor in Pasadena, Walter Contreras, is actually very involved in that. So if you want to become a sanctuary church, he'd be thrilled. Um, and then at the national level, um, at, for years now, um, at the national level, uh, we've been really strong in our advocacy for immigrant rights. And most recently, but it's only most recently after many, many years of other actions that we've taken, our new city clerk um, filed an act this brief uh, to oppose the travel ban. Anti-racism is, um, has, again, has been talked about for years now, um, but actually uh, now I, I feel that they're, they're at a different level. There's kind of a, a level of anger <laughs> at the national level because it's because of um, the uh, stubbornness and the persistence of racism. But there's also an acknowledgement that as one of the wealthiest denominations and one of the whitest denominations, our, we are not, our responsibility isn't so much you know, talking about all oh, those poor people of color as much as who are we as contributors to the white privilege in the system in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real humility about that. And there's quite a few books now. I don't know if you know Tim Wise. Um, he actually did a documentary on PBS that was really wonderful. Um, but Tim Wise is probably the biggest um, voice around this, around um, acknowledging his own racism, his own um, white privilege. But the, the book that people are really loving in the denomination is this one, Waking Up White. Yeah. They love it so much that the co-moderators, who is one white woman and one black woman, um, wrote a, prepared a study guide for it. 
um, which actually should be bigger because it's really small print, but I was cheap um, and printed it in a booklet style. But anyway, but it's something they actually asked. They, their dream was that it would be a denomination-wide book study. Um, but it is true that there have been presbyteries and churches that have done that, who have done this. I love it because um, I actually heard about it first from Cindy Kroll, who's our pastor at Trinity in Pasadena. And she said she was reading it. She, she goes, oh, I've been reading this. It's like, oh, that's me. That's me. Oh, my gosh. That's me. And that's what a lot of the, uh, especially younger white women say. I started reading it, and I was like, oh, that's what they're thinking. So that's kind of helpful for everybody. <laughs> um, the other thing that we may um, talk about doing synod-wide is Eric Law. Do you know? Does yeah. Okay. So Eric has this thing that he started out calling dialogue on race. He's now calling it building bridges, and it's a curriculum that he's been developing. Not it started on racism, but actually he's now expanding it onto any kind of difficult conversations, and so we're hoping to do some of that. I know Krista is actually involved, is, is interested in, in doing that, possibly for Claremont alone or as part of the citywide training. That's the one original communities, as I mentioned, is and continuing enthusiasm. The process and the, the, the knowledge base is maturing, and so they're starting to see things like how do you get from you know a bunch of people in a coffee shop to actually something that's a little bit more sustainable. Um, Southern California is actually a hot spot for that. <laughs> We're the only place where we actually have two um, groups that are really strong doing similar stuff but different. <laughs> and they're now both doing similar stuff and different in both English and in Spanish. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a funny thing where we actually kind of have to coordinate between the two groups. And sometimes we use one group or we use other groups. Um, they both have their um, strengths, and, and so we use them both ways. I asked the 1001 person, I said, are we the only ones who are like that? And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody, you know, anybody else would kill that ball, you know, to, get, to have the expertise we do. So um, we do have that. Uh, it, the um, Northern Village, which is the group that's kind of like been a machine for um, developing new worshiping communities, has a program called Cyclica, uh, Cyclical. Sorry. I was working on the Spanish version, which is Ciclica. <laughs> um, and then Jim Millie with Bridges, and who's teaching class here, is the other person. And Bridges, I think, actually does better at what is the, the real technical um, understanding of what missional churches is, of what Jim does. Uh, we also, of course, are revitalizing current churches. You all are a perfect example of that. Um, you're doing some really great work. Um, and uh, the more kinds of skills building we have around outreach to the community and rethinking our, um, you know, our whole understanding of what church means. And that, for us, Cradle Presbyterians, it's really amazing how much ingrained in us these interesting idiosyncrasies about what it means to be Presbyterian. And I don't think I'm going to have time to tell you, give you examples of that, but anyway. Um, Interesting thing about giving, you know, of course, when the bottom fell out, it was easy to sit for everybody to go, oh, we can't give anymore. And that was clear, and there was, you know, that was an understanding. Um, but there's been some sociological changes. Um, people don't like to give to basic mission. They don't like to give to, a like, as a tithe. They like to give to projects. Um, we had our, our denomination then went full bore that way and focused on projects, which then just got us stuck with 
restricted funds that were inflexible. And so we've got this constant battle trying to figure out how to cover the new things with the limited amount of unrestricted funds we have, while other programs that frankly may not be as relevant anymore continue on because they have restricted funds for it. And so, um, <clears throat> and, but, but one, one of the dynamics that came up was, I don't know, I'll just tell you, because I mean, this was one of the conversations I had with your missions committee. Um, when the bottom fell out of the market, a lot of the churches just said, well, we got to cut back on mission. And we got to cut back on you know, our per capita. We got to cut back on shared mission. Um, things came back, but the shared mission giving didn't come back. So as you notice, basic mission support decreased by half since 2004. But the total congregation receipts only decreased by 12%. Okay, so it wasn't just a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction. Something happened where people just stopped, got out of the habit of giving to the larger uh, mission of the church. Special offerings have generally been decreased. We're not exactly sure why that is, except that OGHS, one grade hour sharing decreased, partly because a lot of people now, more people will give more when there's a disaster. If there isn't a disaster, they don't give Yes. Are these figures for this Presbytery? No, this is national. National. Okay. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful the Presbytery gave two billion dollars? <laughs> this is three billion dollars. Oh, oh, we're talking three billion dollars. We're in the back. We can't see. Okay. All right. So okay. Yeah. When you say people got used to holding back, are you talking about people or congregations? Congregations. Okay. They kept it in the congregation. And some of the congregations, especially the more conservative congregations, gave to their own projects. When you say their own projects, do you mean? They have their own missionaries. They won't give okay. to the World Peace USA World Mission. They'll give to Samaritan's Purse. Does that count like for their local food bank or their local House of Ruth? Um, yeah, I mean, all churches give locally as yeah. well. But the big, but the big, the big change at, at the national level was withholding, keeping within the um, local, um, not for mission, but just for their own staff. <laughs> it was just for their own survival. Um, and then for the conservative churches, it was actually giving to alternate missionaries. Yes? Do we understand that? Why the, why the local churches decide to run, I mean, disperse their funds directly rather than through the Presbyterian or Senate? There are several reasons why. Um, one is, like I said, sociological, that people are wanting to control exactly where the money goes. Um, the more conservative churches didn't trust, um, the, they thought that the, um, our, the PCUSA's approach to mission might be too radical um, or too something. Um, and Frankly, when, like I said, when the bottom fell out, then people just retrench and they take care of their own. See, I have my own theory on that. Yes. And I think that's the internet. Because 20 years ago, <coughs> you could not access information yes. about various missions. Yeah. Now everybody can get on their own computer and decide. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, 
you know, as you say, yeah. pick and choose like they. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely true. That's why now you can. That's even national. This is something for the big councils we get a little frustrated about. Is that now national will go directly to individuals and ask for money for about four times a month. Yeah. Yeah, and it used to be, and so so it's kind of a whole breakdown of that kind of covenantal relationship that we used to have because it used to be that national would only go to the mid councils, mid councils would only go to congregations, and congregations would go to individuals. Now everybody's going straight to the individuals. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I will also say that, um, as I mentioned, that that there there has been some trust issues with the national and how they're managing their money, um, as I, as an example with the two with the thousand and one stuff. Um, there's also an issue question about how they're doing overhead allocations. There was a time back when the denomination was really was very wealthy that they could say every dollar you give goes directly to a missionary. That is, any of you who worked in nonprofits know that that's not the way that you do things. But that was the way the church could do it because they would have other funds to pay for administrative costs. Now the denomination doesn't have those funds to pay for administrative costs, so they're starting to allocate overhead, but it's not clear how they're doing it. So we're looking at that too. As I mentioned, a lot of self-examination. Um, there's actually several uh, groups going at the same time at the national level. There is an all-agency review. That means all six agencies. There's one committee. Each there were different committees for every agency, and now there's one committee that's saying, "Okay, we all examined each of the agencies. Now we're going to look at all six together and see is this really the right way to do things." Um, there was so much um, focus on that on this question of whether we really need six agencies that the last GA, where Karen was, um, they uh, established what was called a Way Forward Commission, and that is actually a group, an, an administrative commission, so they've got some teeth to look at whether um, we are um, structured in a way that makes sense for the current church. Uh, just as I mentioned, for instance, presbyteries are a good example. Well, I mean, churches, uh, congregations, a lot of congregations don't have associate pastors anymore because it's cheaper to have directors of ministry than to have associate pastors. At the Presbyterian synod level, you very more, less and less will you have a full-time um, executive and a full-time stated clerk. Now you'll either have a part-time, part-time, or you'll have one person doing what we call them a slasher. If you ever hear me talk about slasher, that's not a bad thing. It just means that they are an executive slash stated clerk. Um, and so it's, to me, it only makes sense then that at the national level, now that we have half as many members as we used to have, that maybe we don't need to sustain that big a structure anymore. Vision 2020, do you know this? Karen is on the National Committee for Vision 2020. That is a, the committee that's trying to kind of dream and look beyond the current issues and crises. Uh, as I mentioned, there's been some consolidation trends at the mid-council level, so national is saying, well, maybe we need to look at that. And then there's also new leadership, a lot of new leadership. New state of clerk, Chamber Herbert Nelson, amazing speakers. We'll get him out here someday. Um, Go, we have this for the first time. We have co-moderators. Uh, this is the first time they actually had to change the constitution or the operations manual of the GA to allow this. And so Denise Anderson and Janet Bisson are the co-moderators. They're terrific. 
Um, Tony De La Rosa, who is uh, one of our children, here. yes. <laughs> um, he is the interim executive director, um, but at the same time, but now he's been there for about a year and a half, and so now we're going to start seeking a new installed executive director. And also, um, sadly, Hunter Farrell left after as World Missions, um, and so that we're now seeking a new World Missions. Director. What happened to the uh, executive director of during Missions? Did he um, left? She is a woman. It was a woman. Yeah, and I would say that um, probably the best answer is that she was hired with a set full. For, at a time when they thought all we needed was to get a good corporate-minded manager who could like just get the place to be more efficient and that would be okay, but there were a whole lot of other groundswell issues that she wasn't prepared for and the agency wasn't prepared for. And so it's it, what we're now looking for is somebody who's much more theologically grounded, understands the um, unique peculiarities of church, <laughs> she was, you know, she was a good corporate executive, but that was, but it seemed like that wasn't what was needed. And I, this is my last thing, was just to say, um, off the top of my head, I'm sure that there are far more than this, but just to let you know that St. Gabriel has a tradition of being really connected with the denomination and continues to be. Uh, Tom Taylor is still a member of this presbytery. He's the president of the Presbyterian Foundation. Foundation, by the way, does some remarkable stuff. Tom had a, got, has a PhD in economic justice. And so the foundation has done some remarkable things. As an example, they started long before John Kerry thought of this as a Secretary of State. Um, the Presbyterian Foundation started up a stimulus fund for Palestinian businesses. And they were oversubscribed immediately because it was a positive way of dealing with it. Um, you know, there's different people have different views about B, D, or S, but there's also build up, how do you build up the Palestinian um, economy? Board uh, pensions was Angelica, has been Angelica Mikhail for a long time. Yeah. She may even be terming out or termed out. Uh, as I mentioned, Tony La Rosa grew up at Calvary, South Pasadena. Um, bring us and myself, we are on the board of the agency, and also we are both on the search committee for the new BD. Uh, and I mentioned Karen. And then at the Synod level, we have a new uh, Synod stated clerk and executive, and his name is Mark Hong. Mark Hong actually was brought into the PCUSA through this press. This is the Presbytery that brought him into the PCUSA, and he's done, he's spent his entire life serving the denomination citizen at all levels. Um, so he just started as the exec. And Janice Dikesa, she's the moderator of Synod this year. She's good. Yeah. And she's always been really involved with Presbyterian women. Yeah. Yeah, at yeah. the national level. Yeah. And like I said, I know that there's countless other people in San Gabriel, including in this church, who serve nationally. But those are just a few that I could think of who are right, current right now serving on boards and committees. So, oh, I managed to do it before. Okay. So does anybody have any questions or comments? Or yes? It seems to me that across all of these different topics, that we're paying the price for bringing together the two Presbyterian churches in the 1990s. That we're just, you know, when you say, that when you look at the dismissed congregations, 
when you look at people holding money back and not trusting the National Missionary Organization, doesn't that really come back to the schism between PC America and PC USA? Um, who is leaving? Who are those dismissed congregations? Were they churches that were brought in in the 80s when the two churches came together? There's, there's different, there have been different theories and just like why, why the mainline church has, has gone down, um, there's no one answer. Um, so different people have different answers. One, one popular um, uh, thing, one popular research project wasn't about that, it was about how, what pastors went to denominational seminaries and which ones did not. Um, and that actually, there seemed to be some corollary on that. And that had nothing to do with Southern or Northern. Um, the, I, don't, I, I, I don't actually know that it was a Southern-Northern split. Um, it seems like um, certain regions, the Presbyterian Church in certain regions, just ended up being more conservative. And ironically, it was, it's the most conservative presbyteries that suffered the, the most. So for instance, Los Ranchos, who most of their churches actually were um, not born, I mean, they were born out of um, the efforts of the Los Angeles Presbytery, and, and so they were not Southern churches at all. They were actually rather new churches. Yeah. Um, many of those churches left. Um, Los Ranchos is a very conservative Presbytery. San Barbara was a very conservative Presbytery, and many of their churches left. Um, uh, there was, you'll just see it like Washington State is very the Presbyterian Church in Washington State and especially in central Washington is very conservative um, in Pennsylvania I think you, you know how Pennsylvania the state actually is split to three and they and the churches and the presbyteries reflect the splits that are in the general population so you're, you're, it, 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 it could be true that there are, that there are fishers from northern south southern. I guess what I would also say though is even if that's true, there's a there's also a long standing pattern in the Presbyterian Church in the United States of yearning to be together and then fighting and splitting. And so if you see the, they, there's a graph, there's this great graphic about this of the of the Presbyterian Church in the United States, which is basically split <coughs> Merge, split, merge, split, merge. And so even if it's true that there were fissures and some of the people end up leaving, I, I would venture to say that people still wanted, would have wanted to merge because there's always this yearning to, to be one. It sounds like you're describing an abusive marriage. <laughs> you have to go, we don't have that much in common. <laughs> you know, we split, we come back together, I don't want to testify. But in an unrelated question, when you did the map with the colors, yeah. I was struck how with some states, certainly Alaska, but also Texas and the edge of California, between California and Nevada, yeah. there are these really dark areas, whether they're navy blue or black. Yeah. And uh, I know Nevada well enough to know that, like, that's Reno, or maybe it's Lake Tahoe that's dark. Right here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of that, and part of it maybe because it's such a sparsely populated area that the percentage is high. Well, okay, but it's percentage of the population. I mean, the center of Nevada is more sparsely populated than Reno. 
And I was wondering if this is a reflection that shows that we're an urban church, because like in New Mexico, you've got that incredibly dark area right at the border to Arizona. It is true that, okay, so I didn't get into this, but, but the reality is that the Presbyterian Church generally, Presbyterian Church is, um, attracts wealthier and better educated people. And so it's partly urban, but it's also, it has much more to do with the class distinction. Um, because in this area, there is a gazillion country churches. Right. I lived in my church for a while. But but you're right that the but you're right that the, the successful churches are definitely suburban actually, they're not urban. The okay. successful the most successful Presbyterian churches are suburban. Do you have something? Well, I think the uh, big difference between the Southern Church and the uh, uh, Northern Church was the way they made their decisions. Yeah. The Southern Church tend to make them outside of the session, behind closed doors. Yeah. And the Northern Church tended to focus the attention on the discussion within the session. Yeah, it's actually, Todd Bolsinger wrote an essay of several years ago that I, I actually, some people don't like it, but I think it actually is really helpful. And it talks about the Northern Strain, the Southern Strain, and also the Western Strain. Um, and, the, and the Northern Strain is much more focused on, um, on the polity on the, 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 the mechanics of, of um, Robert's Rules of Order, decision-making in the corporate sphere. Um, uh, the state of clerk is much more powerful in the Northern Church. And the Southern Church, um, the culture is much more focused on relationship. Um, and so it's on people, and they'll come to get, they'll come to presbytery meetings to be with each other. Not as, they don't want to fight, they don't want to argue or have big, you know, major discussions, they, they want to be with each other. Um, and like in all, all families like that, many of the decisions do get made someplace else. Um, the Western strain um, are um, newer churches, and um, they were dominant, the Western strain more than the Eastern um, uh, churches um, have transplants. They're not cradle Presbyterians. And, the, and so they actually were the biggest Western church, not all of them, but a lot of the biggest Western churches were people who recognized the Presbyterian church as a useful brand for their theology. When the Presbyterian church's brand changed, and for some of us, changed back to where we always thought it was, then the brand didn't work for them anymore, so that's why they left. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? In what way? Mm-hmm. More information. Yeah, I tell it, I mean, brand for your theology. What, what was the brand to begin with and how did it change and all that? Um, that the, the people were attracted to the Presbyterian Church because, it, they, because of the mainline churches. Um, a, lot of, a lot of, you know, fundamentalism is Calvinist. And... Um, and, and a lot of evangelicals really actually have respect for the Presbyterian Church or what they believe the Presbyterian Church could be um, because they see us as being more biblically faithful, that we do take theology seriously. Um, and so they saw the Presbyterian Church as a better fit for how they wanted to see church, churches to grow. Um, and, you know, and even now, 
some of the really, really strong uh, leaders we have in the denomination are evangelical. They have become, they're evangelical who have become inclusive, but they are still at their heart evangelicals. Um, the, then you have a lot of evangelicals who came to the Presbyterian Church because they thought, well, this would be a good group of conservative, like-minded people, well-scrubbed, you know, well-resourced people. And then when we started talking about all these immigrations and gun control and, and other stuff and, 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 you know, and LGBT rights, then they said, well, you're not our church anymore. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different, I don't know how to explain this, whether you've ever had this, but when you choose something as opposed to when you're just born to it and it's all you know, it's different. Yeah. Your, your relationship is different. Just, just a second, because somebody had a question. Did you still? Yeah. Um, so, Donald okay. needs to call, but there is no overtime in this game. <laughs> no, because I I'm sorry to discourage you. We can keep talking uh, to her uh, right after this. Uh, so it's about time to finish, uh, wrap up, uh, but you know, our conversations continue after that, and she's going to stay. I'm uh, staying for worship, so, right. so, uh, so I need to, have yeah. there's a little bit of time after as well. To talk to. Yeah. And thank you, Wendy. From next week, for another six weeks, during the six weeks, we are going to have the Lenten groups starting from next week. So we don't have um, 9 a.m. coffee and Twitter for six months, not yeah, six months, for six weeks. And please sign up the, uh, the connection card for the, uh, the luncheon groups. Thank you. I'll see you at the center. When I, I'm Nancy Rice.